Welcome to the Lessons Learned Podcast, a podcast reflecting on the lessons we've learned and those we're still in the process of learning. I'm Komal, your host. I'm an interviewer, investor, and someone who has lived a lot of life in a short time. I built this podcast as a place for us to reflect, to be together, and to learn from one another. Let's get into it. Welcome everybody to episode 20 of the Lessons Learned podcast. It is almost Valentine's Day. In fact, Valentine's Day is tomorrow. And I'm really excited this week to bring on my one and only love of my life, Mitchell Logan Pinnell. (laughs) Get my full name. (laughs) For this week's episode, where we are going to talk about our experience as a mixed couple, multicultural couple, interracial couple, whatever adjective we want to use uh, and what it was like for us to begin and and have this relationship. And yeah, that is what we're focusing on today. And I'm nervous and excited. Yeah, we were talking about this beforehand, how this feels like it feels both like heavy and big and important. And because a lot of the questions that everyone was asking in the comments on my Instagram really leaned towards obviously like the most more complex part of yeah. what it means to be in an interracial relationship, the interfaith part, the the things that you're sacrificing in terms of your culture and your inside jokes and, and language, um, things that your partner might not understand. Um, and also just kind of working against your family, like my family's, you know, not loving the mm. fact that I was dating a white guy in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So that's a lot Should of what we people were asking. Yeah. Well, I think another thing to say is this is our 11th year together. This is our anniversary week as well, because when we were 19 and 20 years old, Valentine's Day was around the time when we decided to go steady. <laughs> <laughs> so cheesy. Oh, no. Oh, this no. whole thing's going to be like this. I know. <laughs> and it's also the first week we're trying video. So this is going to be true. fun because yeah. people are going to be able to see our Also my second time on the reactions. podcast. Well, yeah, I guess third. third. I had a cameo. Two weeks ago on the Michelle yeah. Obama episode. Okay, so should we start at the so, beginning? where do you want to start? <laughs> well, let's see. 11 years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, you jump in and tell me if I'm getting long-winded, but basically... You and I met in the fall of our second year of university. We had both just gotten out of relationships that we had started right at the beginning of university, which is sort of a cliche. And we had both been newly single for about a month or two kind of thing. And then we met serendipitously at a house party that a bunch of our mutual friends were hosting. And somehow we didn't know each other, even though all of our friends spent the full first year hanging out together yet somehow you and I had never crossed paths. Yeah. It's wild because we literally lived a floor, two floors away from each other in, in residence. In the smallest building on campus. In the smallest building yeah. on campus. All of our friends were friends and we never met. Nope. It was so wild. And I literally, as I was walking into this house party, was saying to my best friend, Julia, and my best friend, Heather, who were both my bridesmaids at our wedding, um, you know, I'm so done with thinking about relationships and men. I don't think I use the word men at that point because we were 19. I probably said guys. Um, 
and I'm just ready to have fun with you guys tonight. And I walked in and you were literally the first person I saw in the kitchen. There I was in a blue striped hoodie. (laughs) And there I was in a red dress. In a beautiful red dress. (laughs) And we just locked eyes. I must have looked starstruck. She came in the front door and I just stared at her. I was like, who is that? And I thought, who is this wonderfully happy, jolly man? (laughs) And wow. And we, yeah. We sort of went around the, the two sides of the kitchen and met in the living room where a bunch of people were standing and you and I just talked all night. All night. And there's some photos that our friends had uh, taken of that kind of first moments we met. And I always look back at them this time of year and I'm just like, how us little kids, like 19 and 20, baby Mitch and baby laughing. Coco, just like connecting. And it's one of those things where when we tell the story, people are often like, love at first sight, like this isn't a thing. And it's like, I don't know how it was a thing. Yeah, I didn't believe in it and 100% changed my mind. (laughs) Yeah, because literally here we are 11 years later. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between being like, oh, that's a handsome human. And then just being like, it was your energy. Like you came in and we we weren't even really like, You, you were taking off your shoes. Like you hadn't even really arrived and we saw each other. It was like something happened. Yeah, I often say it was like, you know, what that cheesy quote that is from the Bible, but also from Wedding Crashers. Is it from the Bible? You always make fun of me. The Rachel McAdams quote, like the soul's recognition of itself in the other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Soul's recognition of its counterpart. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I felt like that's what happened in that moment. Like I walked in and it was just like, oh, my God, like. And I believe in many lifetimes, like, you know, reincarnation and all these things. And so for me, it was like, wow, we're so lucky that we met this early in this lifetime. Well, that's a great segue. So then we hit it off and we didn't start dating for a little while after we talked and talked and then Como went home for the holidays. And then we sort of met up again in the new year. And a few weeks later, we decided to make it official. Yeah, we both decided we wanted to go on proper dates because we had just come out of relationships. Yeah. So we wanted to take it slow for like university slow. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that meant like four or five dates between January and Feb 16th. And then uh, on Valentine's Day, we started kind of leaning towards that direction of dating and then we did on the 16th you asked me out i just want to tell people everything i know <laughs> <laughs> but we can't get caught up in like the early well, okay, days too so, much because we have so, so much to I, unpack what later what i think is contextual is that um you and i had the privilege of getting to know each other remotely for a little while so when you were home for the holidays after we'd met for you know twice and then you went home for two weeks we facebook messengered like every oh, yeah. other day. Yeah. And we, we basically had these like long sort of like pen pal situations. We would write these really long stories about what it was like to be home, what our relationships are like with family, what home was like growing up and who our friends were. And we sort of like we went there in terms of getting to know each other outside of the context of being together. Mm. So I think we did a good job of spending some time getting to know each other. And then. And, and what then, was really interesting for me was. I'm probably going to cry. Like that was a really hard Christmas for us at home. Like it was the Christmas when um, my cousin's sister had gotten engaged and there was just a lot of pain and turmoil. And um, it was a really hard Christmas for Mm -hmm. us. And so my reprieve was going to my Facebook messenger or it wasn't even messenger at the time, just my inbox and seeing these messages come in from you because 
it just was really, really hard mm. at home that, that Christmas. And you were my light on the, at the end of each day to kind of open my cell phone to. So you didn't even know at I that time the light funny. that you brought. Looking back, we did this a few months ago. We were at dinner and we found the old messages and read through them. Milestones. Yeah, we did. Again, milestones every time. <laughs> every time. Actually, um, it was Cactus Club in Calgary. <laughs> is that what it was? You're yeah. right. Yeah. So we were rereading those messages and I could tell reading them that like knowing the truth about that time now, how much you weren't saying, which mm. makes me think about our communication style, but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, so that was us meeting. That and was us meeting. I think just based on the questions that people were asking on Instagram, when we first met, I didn't see Mitch's race first. And I think it, it helped that I was so young, like 19. We, we There wasn't the types of conversations that are being had now about race and uh, the implications of whiteness and brownness and all of this. Like my understanding of my identity was still so nascent and yeah. so early. And I didn't see the dichotomy yet or like it wasn't thrown in my face as much as it would be in the later years of my mid to late 20s. I mean, I think... Also, we, you know, were thousands of kilometers away from home for you. Yeah. And so in the very early phases of us like dating, it was, you know, you, you weren't, you didn't have to face those things immediately because I think also when you start to think about dating someone, you knew there would be pressure from your family or there would be sort of a, like I knew battle. I wasn't supposed to date a white guy, Yeah, but, yeah. and I was doing it in secret or just like not being fully forward with my family but we I never also openly talked about dating with my parents no, which most not. brown kids don't yeah. and I remember when I told ma which <clears throat> we'll we'll forward to that like a few like it was so we started dating in February and then in June Thayaji passed away so yeah. like just to give you guys some context university was a really hard time for yeah. me and there was deaths and there was a lot of so we, trauma at home and a lot of tough shit. And we'd been together how long? We'd been March, April, May. We were only together four months. Yeah. And that's why, like, Mitch's family carried me through the loss of my uncle and held me in a way that they didn't have to four months into a relationship. Mm-hmm. I lived uh, half a country away from home. And uh, it was a big trauma for my family. So for context, and I've shared this in past episodes, but for those new listeners, yeah. um, I grew up in a conjoined family. So my mom, my dad, my aunt, and my uncle raised two families and under one roof, my three cousins or my cousin siblings, I refer to them. And then my brother and I, my grandparents and cousins who were coming in and out of the house as they were coming to Grand Prairie. And no pets. And no <laughs> pets. We had a fish, Bianca, once actually. It was a goldfish. My mom kept her alive for a very long time. I digress. <laughs> um, but so my Thayaji, he died in June of 2009 on a trip to India from alcohol poisoning. And he was an abusive alcoholic. And growing up in our household, it was really tough because um, the dynamic in our household was such that my cousins... Um, had a different type of life than my brother and I, even though we lived under the same roof. But my brother and I were witness to a lot of things that kids shouldn't have been. And so when Thayaji died in 2009, we were all left in shock. Mm -hmm. And I lived across the country. My family and my siblings were just dealing with their grief. They didn't have space to hold 
me in that being the youngest of in our family well, and all those there things. Was also, there was also a delay in the funeral arrangements too, right? Because they had to bring him back to Canada. And so you didn't rush home right away, did you? I did. You I went. Did. So the way that it happened and why this is important to our story is I genuinely believe the harder shit you go through with your partner, yeah. like it's literally your initiation to how do you deal with hard shit together. It's like people always say, um, if you want to test an early relationship, like travel together. Yeah. You know, because you're forced to experience all kinds of new challenges, awkward environments, awkward conversations, whatever, variables that sort of wouldn't happen in the regular rhythm of your life, let alone serious tragedy. (laughs) And I say it lightly in this moment because it bonded us like nothing else possibly could have. And not just us, but your family. Like I lived with your mom that summer. Yeah. Like I, we were having dinner at your mom's house and driving home back to downtown Ottawa when yeah. I got the phone call that Thaiji died yeah. and you pulled over and I remember it was an OC Transpo parking lot, yeah. park and ride. And I just needed to get out of the car and I opened the door to the car and I fell out of the car and you just picked me up, put me back in the car and took me to your mom's house, tucked me onto the couch while you and your mom helped me book my flight home. You guys put you me back to together family. enough. You just got you organized and yeah. sort of rallied. And and the thing is, this whole time, no one at home knew about you. So they didn't know the pillar that you and your family were for me during the hardest time of my life. And so I think that it's that kind of an experience that supersedes or just rises above any yeah. sort of conflict that race, faith, culture can possibly throw into the mix with whether or not you're meant to be with someone. Wow. 100%. I never thought about how much this was really like a big pillar in us getting through that stuff because well, we talk about knowing so how to fight for something or why yeah. to fight for something. Like, yeah, I could in good conscience after that summer go home to my mom a few months later and say, Ma, and it was like about, it was, I think, March the following year that I told Ma. Mm-hmm. So it was about a year into us dating. Yeah. And I just told her and I said to her, I remembered like it was, that was a really hard time too. (laughs) Like she, I knew going into that conversation, I was breaking my mother's heart. Mm -hmm. I knew that everything she'd been through, I knew everything that she did for me and sacrificed for me and my brother. And I knew the future dreams she had for me and the family I would have and the importance that culture and being with someone Punjabi meant to her i knew exactly what i was doing yeah and that's what was really tough because walking into a situation and being like i'm about to break my mom's heart Mm -hmm. but also knowing that we had come through something so major like we knew we were spending our lives together yeah and i think like i think somewhere along the way you and i probably started to have conversations about what it meant to be together and what our families were like. And we had been starting to sort of have those conversations. And I think it was pretty clear to both of us early on that we were like committed to, uh, I guess this is an interesting point. I think because of distance, you and I had early on had conversations about what long distance family relationships meant. So it's like, well, if we're going to be together, we're going to have to spend time with your family that is on the other side of the country. And so with that meant preserving both our familiar relationships and also like the culture. Yeah. And I think it was just, I think something that's important to 
like remember early on is that you know uh, th there was no you and I never really had any sensation that we would not celebrate the other elements of the other person's life. No, you it was know? never was a conflict. Never a, it was never like, well, you're joining my family. Yeah, like, or you never... have to do these things. I think it also helps that you were so open and excited Absolutely. about our culture. Hell yeah. So I'm going to rewind a bit because I think <laughs> we should talk about a news wedding about how you got immersed into our culture. But before that... I really want to round out this telling my parents part of things mm. because I know there's probably so many of you listening who just are so fucking scared Ugh. or were to tell your parents about the person you yeah. care about and love. And my, I am an honest person. Like lying is really hard for me and it's not something Cole I'm good at. I'm not good life. at lying. Yeah. She'll just look at you and tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I just, even if it's just like, you know, I just care so deeply about the people in my life that I know that if I lied to them about any important part of me, I just couldn't show up fully for those relationships. But I had to lie to my parents for a year and it wasn't lying as much as, as like, and I know a lot of brown kids know what I'm talking about, <laughs> as much as like, not telling avoiding certain parts <laughs> it's like is it a lie if you're just not saying anything yeah. about x thing who are you going to the movies with oh friends <laughs> and like living across the country made it yeah. relatively easy like you started to pave a road though you started to sneak me into conversations mm. you would be like oh i'm out with friends oh i'm out with so-and-so and mitch yeah and a mitch became a familiar name <laughs> <laughs> um and but i knew in my heart of hearts that I live halfway across the country. I see my parents so little. And yes, I talk to them every day, but I can't have such a big part of my life be a lie mm -hmm. um, because I care about them too much and I care about my relationship with them and I care about the person I'm with too much. Like you never pressured me to tell our family. No. Um, I was only 20. Like there was no point. We knew we weren't going to get married right How away. How candid are we going to get here? <laughs> Let's get candid. Okay. I don't know. What were you going to say? Well, for a year when you and I were together um frequently you would make phone calls yeah when mitch would, would spend the night i would be calling ma and, and she would just she would just be like i gotta call so and so like her mom or her dad or her brother whoever and she would just be like don't say anything <laughs> do you remember this? i remember it so it feels like it was the longest time but really it was like eight months yeah yeah but it was still like yeah i know a lot of you listening like, know exactly what that is like it's 11 30 like go to the living room or just like yeah you're not uh, here right now um so when i decided to tell mom and papa it was after second year university i'd gone home for the holidays and or for a little break between uh spring semester and i did summer school most years um just to like accelerate or do more courses because i'm a masochist <laughs> but i went home and I remember sitting in the kitchen with Ma and we were having a really beautiful, like heartfelt heart to heart conversation. And I just felt this moment of rising in me. And it was like, now's the moment. Now's the moment. And I told her and I saw the pain. What did you say? Oh my God. I don't, I think, okay. I said, Cause I feel like so many people are going to be like, how did you break the news? Oh, I told my mom in a conversation. Do oh, you remember? okay. I'll give you the gist of it. Cause I don't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember saying, like, there's something I need to tell you. Mm. I'm seeing somebody. His name is Mitch. 
and I'm pretty sure I said like he's he's white. I mean, I'm sure you said that. <laughs> I think when she heard Mitch, she yeah. probably knew. Yeah, it's not you Mitch mean Mitch Minder? Minder? <laughs> <laughs> no, ma. Um, yeah. And what proceeded was not, uh, I, I'm going to keep that private because yeah, it was yeah. really hard. She got really upset. She got really upset. And the next few days were very, very, very difficult for my mom, my brother, and I because we were all home. Yeah. And... Um, those are things that I'm just choosing to keep. But your private. mom was, she was like devastated, you know, you don't devastated. To... Like I said, I broke her heart, mm-hmm. but what I will say is going into that situation, I chose to go into it with loving kindness. I knew that vitriol was going to be spewed at me. I knew that there was going to be attempts to dissuade me in multiple different ways mm-hmm. to the point of almost like saying that my tuition for university wasn't going to be paid because yes, my parents helped me through university. Mm -hmm. And I remember at one point saying like, I am not asking permission. I just wanted to let you know because I care about you and I love you and I don't want to live a lie. And later, Papa would say to me, you know, like, he's like, but like, what are we going to do? Ruin your life? Because the next day, Papa came downstairs and he's like, Como, like, what did you say to Ma last night? <laughs> I was like, Papa, I'm seeing someone. And for a lot of people, their dads are, are the ones who would yeah. be most hurt. But for us, in it some was, ways, I'm grateful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Papa's like, he's not someone, it's just not his nature or character no. to. No. He literally said, What am I going to do? Ruin your life? Mm-hmm. You love who you love. Like, could you imagine an Indian father saying that yeah. to their daughter? in that situation and I was like holy shit like okay thank you papa and having one parent who is okay with it and then also like I just knew with ma like she'd just been through so much and so like I just had to hold her through this for sure and it was my job and responsibility as her daughter and a lot of people might argue against this but I knew I had to carry my mom through that Mm -hmm. and I with separation and distance but i did something where it was i wrote her love notes and i left them around the house you chose not to be hurt i chose you i chose not to be hurt in that moment i had to process a lot around what was done and said at that time Mm -hmm. and therapy and coaching later but in that moment i was able to be strong enough to know that anything that is being said right now isn't real and isn't true it's to hurt me because i hurt her it's visceral it's visceral. It's like, she, even to this day, sometimes I, I bring up some things that were said and she's like, I never said that. Yeah, and I'm like, it's happened. because she like basically blacked out, yeah. you know, like, yeah, it's a trauma. So it's it a was, trauma. And, it, and, it, and this, so this was, this is just that first few days after you tell her. Yeah. And then I left, I remember I called Rosella every single night. Rosella is one of my best friends, another one of my bridesmaids. And every night before bed, I called Rosella and I just cried and told her about that day and what happened and what was said. But I, I really want to emphasize these love notes because like I found them in Ma's bedside table a few years ago. Like she kept them all. I put one in her makeup bag. I put them in her car. I put Mm -hmm. them around the house of just like, Ma, I love you so much. Like, you know, you're so beautiful or like, you know, I care about you so much. And because I just knew I'm like, we're always going to love each other. If this is hard for a while, it's, it's okay. Like. We can come through hard things. There's also a bit of, um, in that early phase, like, tell me if this makes sense, but it's like your parents, parents going through this type of thing and and wanting their, their kids to marry within the faith or the culture. Like, 
there's almost like a feeling of of abandonment or mm-hmm. like not feeling seen right like you don't respect your mom and so what you're feeling the need to do was like remind you like i love you like you're so important to me this, this isn't about questioning that. yeah our love for each other ma like this is just me as a woman coming into my truth and my independence and my ownership of my own life and my future family that's what this is mm-hmm. and it's that what i want to like what I want to articulate here is Mitch and I have known almost since that very first day certainly since my experience with his family carrying me through the grief I was going through that we could do this entire life together we've never broken up we've never gone on a break no we've had one moment of like intense like questioning in our relationship but we came through it through really hard and important conversations mm-hmm. because we're willing to have those conversations every single day because we know at the end of the day, our vision vision and values and connection and character, like I want to raise so many kids with you. <laughs> I want to tackle every part of life with you with such certainty. Like I can't, there's no ounce of doubt in me about what we are and why we are, you know, like this love is unquestionable. Like I can't, I'm like containing my gush. <laughs> I just, I don't even know, man. It's so wild. And that's level of certainty. I, I don't know where it comes from, why it comes from, but it just is. And you know what, from my perspective, I felt the same way because after you told your mom and the love letters and everything, you were home. What time of year was this? This, this was, was like April. This is April. You March, were, April. You were just home randomly for... No, it was at the end of spring semester. Oh, right. right. And I go, usually would go home for like a week or and two. And then you came right back. No, I went to, with Russ and the Immunity to Vegas. Oh, right. And I didn't even go to the strip. I literally babysat the kids. But to right. Ma, it looked like, oh, she's just going to party. And I was like, no, I'm going to rest and recover yeah. from like the trauma that I just went through. Yeah. I remember literally putting... Russell and them putting Imani and Mia to bed and then going to the strip and I would just like cry in the bathtub <laughs> and like resolve what I was experiencing. Jesus. See, and it's it's so it's so weird to have this conversation where we're both reflecting on our experiences because I didn't go through what you did. I only experienced, you know, my side of things, which is that uh, 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 my partner's parents are wrestling with the idea of us staying together for a lot of different reasons. And I didn't go through a fraction of the things that you did and like the intensity of that response from your parents. And for me, I like, you know, it, it sucked at times. It was really hard to just feel like, you know, as, as my mom said at one Mm. point was, um, she couldn't make sense of it because my mom took it as like, What's What's wrong wrong with my my son? son? Like how, how, like in what world is he not enough? Yeah. It's like, you know. Oh, I remember that conversation with your mom. And my heart just broke. Because she just couldn't, she, and I just had to tell her it's not about Mitch. Yeah. And I think. It's the idea of him. It's like the fact that it's not, you could have been anybody. Yeah. You literally could have been like fill in most impressive wonderful i guess mitch like most impressive uh, wonderful man in the world i could have been like a neurosurgeon right yeah it wouldn't have mattered but from my perspective i think something that that is 
like probably useful for people to hear is that um, my dad, like my dad had zero reservations. My dad grew up on a farm and it's just like the most welcoming and inclusive person ever. He's, he's lovely. We have funny conversations because yeah. we live together now. Yeah. We have so many funny conversations where I'm like, pops, you know, that's racist. And he's well, like, what, <laughs> why? And I'm like, I explain it because with loving kindness, you know, that like yeah. the int- intention is never ill, but yeah. we both educate each other on various things Absolutely. and it's beautiful. Absolutely. I'm like putting my head in my <laughs> no, never like that. No, but just like, you know, the old embarrassing dad is like, what? That's the wrong term. But um, <laughs> I digress. My mom in like in this equation for her, like not accepting people would be so much more of an intense and profound value because my mom, when she was about 10 years old, was taken by a children's aid because she was growing up in an alcoholic household. And so her and her two younger half brothers uh, went into like adoptive care and then the foster system in, in Halifax. And she went through, you know, over the course of the next six or seven years, about six or seven foster families. And uh, we're still incredibly close with the last foster family who, who fostered and then sort of fostered my mom until she was university age. And we've just stayed family ever since. Um, and, you know, for my mom, that like the thought of, exclusion or uh, people not being good enough for each other I think is something that was like really close to her heart so the thought that I might experience something that she had was probably Mm. so much more intense Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah wow so fast forward so I've told my mom now Mm -hmm. it took from telling my mom to ma meeting Mitch, I think it was like two and a half years because we met in, okay, we, so started we, we started 2009, dating 2009 and then I told Ma it would have been 2010 spring. We graduated 2012, 2012. November. So it was two and a half years from me telling her about you yeah. and her not saying your name yeah. for two and a half years. Oh God. This, this immediately us, conjures the most intense imagery for me. To us finally all meeting. Yeah. And I shit you not, guys, the day my parents met Mitch's family <laughs> and his family met my parents, yeah. it was our graduation from university. Oh, extra layer of complication. Well, no, go ahead. No, okay. It was <laughs> our graduate. We were graduating in the same ceremony the same day. I was getting the Tory Award, which was the highest honor a student could get when graduating mm-hmm. in academic and extracurricular, whatever. Yeah. It was my birthday. It was your birthday. And it was Guru Nanak Dev Ji's birthday, yeah. which is one of our gurus in, in the Sikh faith. November 10th, and I was 2012. Too. We were both graduating. In the same the ceremony. Same yeah. So I think you should talk about this first okay, meeting. Okay, well, so also the added complication is Komal's meeting my parents for the first time. Uh, what? Komal's parents oh, were sorry. meeting my... I was like, I had met your parents. I skipped a word. Komal's parents. <laughs> yeah. Um, your parents were meeting my family for the t- first time and my mom and dad divorced when I was four oh, yeah. years old, which correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just the, not a thing. Through the Punjabi lens culture. of a Punjabi mother, it's just like red flag number two. <laughs> <laughs> but my parents divorced when I was four and it was, they, they did a phenomenal job of making that a really, um, healthy healthy and positive as people would say now conscious uncoupling they did it but way before it was on trend so komal's parents are meeting myself my brother my mom my stepdad 
my dad and his girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) His no longer girlfriend. (laughs) Um, So we meet in the journalism building, the new journalism building on campus. At Carleton. At Carleton University here in Ottawa. Where I'm teaching a class on Tuesday. So wild. That's so crazy. Um, And your parents had parked in the underground and taken the elevator up to the second floor by accident. I was And there's this two-story stair (laughs) set of stairs like straight out of a Punjabi movie. (laughs) (laughs) And her mom like turns Uh, the corner and her, you know, her dad comes down and of course has like your dad in his most silly way, like the most great to meet you and walks past me kind of introduction, (laughs) right? He's completely unfazed and I was like, like, hi, Yad, I'm Mitch. It's a pleasure to meet you. Like, we're so... And he's like, oh, hi, Putin. And he just gives me a big <laughs> hug and like, wanders down the stairs. And then your mom, I swear to God, because she's like, you know, she also goes downstairs very consciously because she has a bum knee. So, like, every step was in slow motion. And I'm, like, walking up the stairs towards her until she's standing, like, two or three steps above me. And we meet at eye levels. And she puts her hands on my face. And doesn't say anything for like, I don't know, a year. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe like five, six, seven seconds. And she just like leered into my soul. Like it was, it was, she was like scanning me for goodness. She was like, are you the one? (laughs) (laughs) And, and then she, and then she smiled and she gave me a big hug. Think? Didn't she kiss your cheek or something and then hug you? I don't. I don't I even know. I blacked out. But I just remember being like, "Am I about to die?" <laughs> and then she embraced me, and I was just, you know, I said something like you said, where you just lose the words. But, um, you know, it's it's so nice to meet you. I might have called her Miss Minhas. Like I was just nervous and whatever. And gave her a big hug, and then we. I think I helped her down the stairs. Our friend uh, Chris King was taking photos of the whole thing. So it's so wild to have all those first moments captured. So crazy. Um, But then we had to like scurry off to our ceremony. down the stairs. Everybody met each other for 10, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then you and I ran and did a quick few photos. And And we had to leave them all alone together. So we're sitting in like the second row of a hall of 10,000 people who are all there for grad. And they're like, you know, shoulder to shoulder. I don't even know how many, but a couple couple of thousand. thousand Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a huge room. Yeah. It was so crazy. Like, and I remember us filing in and us walking past them and me looking and then like being on stage and, and getting our diplomas and then getting the award and just seeing them, you know, right at the front and being like, holy shit. Yeah. This happened. This is happening. No pressure. And you had to do a speech too, didn't you? Um, Did you have to say something for the award? I can't even remember. (laughs) No idea. Yeah. Let's just say no. Yeah, I don't so, think so. So this is three years into 11 years at this yeah, point. Yeah, four years into four 11 years. years. Yeah. And, you know, some people might be like, oh, they met. Everything was great. And it was like, no, actually, the next day we went to Toronto and we were staying with the auntie and uncle who are really good friends of ours. And Ma just like laid into me and just like had to. It was almost like a last hurrah. Where did, where did we go? I, I took Ma and Papa to Toronto oh. and we stayed with Grimmel auntie or, or Grimmel auntie and Bin the uncle. Yeah. And I remember, like, Grimmel Auntie the next morning just being like, I'm so sorry, but I'm so sorry that, Mm. like, last night was what it was. But it was, guys, again, like, we're in this for life. Like, four years, five years of hard is nothing compared to a lifetime together. Sure. But also, like, the the context of your mom being upset. Like, there's no version of reality where your parents don't, like, your Punjabi parents don't come to your graduation ceremony where you're getting an award. 
And so they come, and what do we do? We're there all happy and jovial, the endorphins of graduating, our parents meeting, your birthday, the award, and we're doing a photo shoot <laughs> that they're watching happen. So yeah. you and I are like gallivanting around and spinning each other. <laughs> it was like very in your face yeah. for them, which I've never thought about. I think we did the photo shoot not with them around. Uh, like we took, we grabbed our pictures with Chris. That would make more sense. But we definitely did some together. And yeah. Still that like, you know. And then I went and picked them up and then, yeah. Yeah. I think we had more thoughtfulness and than that at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so Thank that was them asked. first meeting and that was 2012. And then began sort of this wild period of time of like soul searching and career for me specifically. Mm-hmm. And, and with yourself too, like working with your dad and then going into the government. Yeah. So it was like this back and forth and it wasn't the same kind of challenge that it was in the beginning where it was like lying and convincing and all this, but it was us living our lives and this continuing to be a real thing for the family. Um, And then Mitch in 2014 came home to Grand Prairie, Calgary for two weeks. Edmonton, Edmonton, sorry. Edmonton, Calgary and Grand Prairie we did on that trip. And it was two weddings and a funeral. And Slave Lake, yeah. <laughs> so it was wild. It was like a movie. It was my best friend Benita's wedding where I was a bridesmaid. It was my cousin Anu's wedding. Um, and it was my grandma's funeral because she passed away while yeah, we were yeah, home. Yeah. And so, yeah, I know everybody. Well, she fell sick while we were home. And then, and no, the we went home and she was already in the palliative care. Oh, right. Yeah. And then it was it was just insane. <laughs> And Mitch was there for all of it. Yeah. And like, (laughs) and can you imagine that being the introduction to the family and all of this and like taking people's grief and their joy. But what I love and like we, we, as you guys have heard from every major point in our relationship, trauma, grief, intensity, like are just part of the game for us, which is why I think we were able to work so well too, is because we had to face everything, no holes bar all out, Mm -hmm. be the supports for one another. Yeah. And, uh, but I love the story of when we landed in Edmonton, it was like the first day and we're at the Gurdwara with Guggen (laughs) and you sit down in the Gurdwara and it's like one of the box before (laughs) or like that opens the the wedding. (laughs) No, you go ahead. No, you tell it. Okay. So, so, um, um, yeah, so we, we, we're doing like longer in the basement and then. I'm sitting down and there's a couple of younger guys around me and, and the one guy comes up and talks to me and he's like, uh, you know, Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm, you know, uh, I'm here for a wedding. And I sort of, he just, he like totally trolls me because he's like, this <laughs> is going to be does, hilarious. Guggen. Yeah, yeah, Guggen would get a kick out of this. Um, so I'm just telling him like, Oh yeah, it's my first time in Edmonton and I'm here for this event. It's my first time at a Punjabi wedding. And I was like, you know, I'm really excited about things and, uh, he he said, "You know who's getting married?" And I said, "Oh, I, I think the guy, I think the guy's name is Greg or Guggen." And he goes, "Hi, I'm Guggen." <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was like, that was, I would say, baptism by fire or like trial by fire. But it really wasn't so intense for me because everyone was so welcoming. Mm. You know, there is your family and your community has been so incredibly warm and welcoming me. And I think we talked about this a bit earlier today about like usually it is the parents who who are like the communicators of that difficult thing you know navigating the intercultural relationship but otherwise it was it was really 
it was really special. I mean, mm-hmm. that was for your, you know, your cousin's wedding and then the, another cousin's wedding. And then we went home and home was much more intense because mm-hmm. that was like. Literally BG passing away. Yeah. Well, but even before she passed away, it was just like everyone was there because she, we didn't know she was going to pass away. She'd been in palliative and her health was like really rapidly declining. And so everyone was in a really heavy space. You know, you talk about people's habits in when you get into like difficult spaces, everyone was sort of going through those and navigating this, this new new sort of jovial guy who has no idea how to deal with this turf. (laughs) But what I think you did so well was immersing yourself. Like the things you would do, like even at the wedding, Ninde Masi, my mom's cousin, sister spoke at our wedding. Uh, at our family party and just talked about how willing Mitch was to Mm -hmm. immerse himself in our culture, in our traditions, in learning so many things. Like as you can hear him throwing in his Punjabi words here and there. I in trouble a lot for doing the dishes. (laughs) For doing the dishes, (laughs) for hanging out with the kids. Things that maybe you don't traditionally see a lot of Punjabi boys and men do i think a lot more now like my brother is an incredible father your brothers and cousins are cousins like amazing but it was just fun for them to see this gora as my (laughs) taiji so nicely you know nicknames mitch which literally means white guy (laughs) um just doing all these things and really immersing yourself because i was running around doing various things like decorating this doing this helping this person doing like when I'm in weddings, I voluntary co-wedding planner. <laughs> exactly. Like it's, it's like, okay, go like, what are we doing? Yeah, go pick this up. And then the I, it, I just let Mitch, I trusted Mitch <laughs> to just be able to handle himself. Which is a vote of confidence. Yeah. And so I behaved. Yeah. And sometimes you'd be like, he'd be like, we haven't seen each other all day and we yeah. just debrief. And, um, but it was really cool. And so again, like, as you guys can hear, like, this is year five we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And from the intensity and craziness of the beginning and in the beginning too, um, I wanted to share this story, but my ex-boyfriend who I had broken up with a month before meeting Mitch, in those, you know, post-breakup talks that kids have or like that you have <laughs> with your partners. So his sister said to him, I'm so grateful you're not in that relationship anymore because I didn't want you faking the empathy of an adult relationship. Mm-hmm. And he said that to me and he said, you know, told you that story. Yeah. he told me that story and he's like, my sister said this, you know, I shouldn't be faking the empathy of an adult relationship. And he's like, so just like for you too, like don't be so serious and just like have some fun. Yeah. Like go and see people and whatever. And I just remember looking at him and it was probably the Scorpio in me coming out just being like, Hey, you might have been faking the empathy of an adult relationship, but I just know exactly what I want. Yeah, yeah like I, was serious. I was serious. And I think like the reason I wanted to bring that up is because sometimes we can confuse ourselves because we don't actually want a long term relationship mm. or we don't want the life partner. We don't want the commitment that comes with that. We don't want the intensity of what it means. I was ready for all of it. Like even when Mitch and I first met, someone had asked a question around like internalization of um that self-hatred that can come as a racialized person in a predominantly white country of like, is this, is this like me just hating my side of your culture as an act of defiance? Yeah. Right? yeah. And for me, like when <sighs> you and I first met, I was being pursued by a Punjabi guy yeah. who was amazing and wonderful in this competent, loving, handsome, great human. Yeah. But, Though you can check all the boxes, but you if it's not 
the right thing, it's not the right thing. If you're yeah. not in love with the person, if you don't think that you can make it through the hard things, if like there's not that soul connection, and I genuinely believe that's what we have, like this is beyond. Again, like I said it to Ma, like Ma, like we've known each other for many lifetimes mm. and we just met early oh. in this one. And I remember that conversation with her in the kitchen and she just looked at me and I said, Ma, have you ever felt like that with Papa? And she just said, yeah, but, and oh. she just got it. And that was later in the later oh. years. And, you know, like when you know you're willing to work through it and it's not because like our relationship has meant so much more than any identifying thing can make it mean if that makes sense like uh, yeah. it's not about the race it's not about the jobs <laughs> you know like we've both been through periods of time where i was sick and unemployed <laughs> and yeah. you were in new york and unemployed yeah. and we were willing to lift each other up through those hard times because it's partnership when there would be moments when hard things would happen and you'd be going through something i'd always say like I can't do the work for you. Yeah, I love this. To pick yourself up this right now. This is a whole other lesson for every <laughs> relationship. But it's like you can't rely on your partner to like prod you or force you into whatever you know uh, act of self improvement or growth you need to do. It has to come from you, through you, by you, for you. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you know we would get into these moments where. Mitch would need me to pick him up or I would need him to pick me up. And it's just like, you have to do the fucking work right now. But what, what that meant in practice was us, like we would be there for each other and not just like, you know, I don't know, like not coaching, but we would just. Coach. I, I genuinely think. Or like, we, would, we would communicate it through, you know, like you and I have, I don't know how or where in the relationship it happened, but we got really good at being like, there's something critical happening and we need to talk about this until we literally have no more words. <laughs> we do this a lot, right? Yeah. Like we basically... Well, you set the rule that we don't go to bed mad at each well, other. Yeah, there was one time in our relationship where it happened and it was because you I were you were drunk and you <laughs> fell asleep. <laughs> and it was, I literally stroked his hair until he fell asleep because I was like, I'm too mad yeah, right yeah. now to, to have this conversation <laughs> while he's, you know, a little tipsy. So I put him to bed and then we talked about it the next day. But in 11 years, that was the only night we've ever gone to bed yeah. mad at each other. Yeah. And maybe that's like, you know, my, my, uh, Aries coming through your billy my, goat, my billy goat. I just, I can't, I have like, uh, he's um, a ram. He just like, I run towards problems. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, I, I have like a first responder mentality. So I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> How are you fixing <laughs> yeah. this? How are we fixing this? And even if it's like, we don't fully resolve the thing, we always get to a breakthrough moment where it's like, okay, like we're, we're talking about the real thing right yeah. now. Yeah. We're, we're, it's time for the steak. Yeah, it's time for this. There's this woman, Stacy Flowers, who I, I saw speak at the Rise Conference, and I'm going to just paraphrase what she said, but it's like when you order steak at a restaurant and someone brings you chicken, you don't just accept the chicken. Yeah. Like you politely ask for the meal that you ordered because otherwise, if you get the chicken, then you're going to get chicken relationships. You're yeah, going to exactly. get chicken you're like not, jobs. You're, you're going to get chicken. Not getting what you want. Exactly. Yeah. So now we start saying this to each other. Where it's yeah. like, I want the steak. Like, like let's want, have the real the conversation. Deep, rich, actual conversation. Yeah. Not, not the fluff, not the conversation ender. Exactly. Like I yeah. don't need the talking points. Yeah. I don't need the nicety. I need the real shit right now. How do we get here? Um, we got here talking about, we had just gone through you coming home for the weddings yeah. and I don't even know, but why don't we use this to go into 
um, the hard, hard part that came after that. So the way we got here was that in between period between the wedding and like our weddings <laughs> was us figuring out our lives yeah. and making it through the hard periods of us getting, becoming adults and yeah. growing the fuck up. And this is where we decided to have those conversations where it's like, you know, now that we're, now that we're graduated and we're out of school and we're both moving in the direction of like a career, then you and I, I think started to really have those, those complicated conversations about what it meant to be together, Mm. what our lives would look like together, how our families would come together and what culture would look like for our children. And I think this is a question people people are curious to hear about is like, how do you, how do you do it? Mm-hmm. And I don't really, it wasn't anything that you and I particularly worked at. I feel like for us, it was, you know, our kids are going to learn Punjabi because if they don't, if they, if we don't encourage them and force them to, <laughs> <laughs> force. So, to learn Punjabi, then they'll never learn it. Yeah. Where English, like they will be immersed in it for the rest of their lives, no matter where they go. But what I also want to caveat here is we don't have kids yet. So oh, we don't know yeah. what this looks like this practically. This we true. are talking out of our asses. Like we don't know true, true. what this is going to mean. Like yeah. ideally for me, I know that because we live in the country and we're far away and daycare for us is like, probably going to be really hard to figure out. Like I'd love to find a Punjabi nanny from oh Bar Haven so that we can speak more Punjabi in the house and be encouraged. And, you know, I, I think also going back to the, like the whole respecting and honoring my own culture, my mom was such a major proponent of that for me growing up. Like I grew up in Grand Prix, Alberta, but I did Bharatanatyam. I learned Kathak. Yeah. I went to Punjabi school every week. I speak, read and write. Punjabi I don't read it as well as I'd like to I speaking I I get nervous sometimes that when I'm in India it takes me a couple days and then I'm in the groove or when I go home I'm in the groove um and I love I learned how to tie a sari as like my grade of 10 thing so I tie them for my cousins and everything like I love being Punjabi Mm. I love it so much and what scares me is I I don't know how I how I represent it every day when we have kids, you know what I mean? And so I know like us speaking Punjabi to the kids and you learning Punjabi yourself first (laughs) first, or with them, you know, we've talked about that being something you do with the kids, which would be like Sunday at the Gurdwara and then, and then Punjabi class, which I, you know, I would sit there with the children, Yes, (laughs) but whatever, like if that's what it takes, then sign me up. Right. Cause that matters. Like I want, I want our future children, if we are so lucky, to be able to speak Punjabi to grandma and grandpa and their aunts and uncles and be able to go to India. And, and beyond just Punjabi, like multilingual in so many ways absolutely. because we live in a nation's I mean, capital in a G20 so, country. Like, there's French everywhere. This is a priority for us. Just like, you know, forcing my kids to go through AP is going to be a priority for me. Like that wasn't a, a, that wasn't something I had growing up. Like I had to still do math, physics, bio, chem, English drama I chose myself like well-rounded means so many things and for us in the context of faith I think it's important for us to share that you know my faith looks like my daily spiritual practice which is a Sikhi related Mm -hmm. meditation and mantra like breath work and then um, like Sahaj Samadhi meditation but Professor G like is someone who Professor Surinder Singh G married us he officiated our wedding did our lava for us, our Anand Garage ceremony, and has shown us what it can look like to have a multi-faith relationship, mm-hmm. interfaith relationship, and make it work on our own terms. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, like, what is faith? 
Faith is based on a set of principles and values that were given to us by whatever the disciple person guru was that walked this earth to teach us how to live a more elevated, enlightened life. Mm -hmm. And those are principles that we live our every day on. Absolutely. I think something I should add in is that, so we haven't said this quite yet, but I grew up, uh, so my parents were split. And when my parents were together, my mom wanted, so my mom is Christian, uh, now practicing Lutheran, but grew up in a, in a Christian sort of environment in, in the East Coast. And uh, when my brother and I were born, my dad didn't want either of us to be baptized into, into the Christian faith because he wanted us to be able to choose. And so I grew up uh, going to a Catholic high school. It was the best high school nearby. It was massive. And so I was in, in Catholic school from kindergarten through grade 12, um, but still not baptized to this day. So like I, I was immersed in uh, Christianity and Catholicism, but never sort of avidly practiced and, you know, would go to church on Sundays occasionally growing up. But in our day to day lives now as an adult, you know, the extent of my practices um, sort of participating in whatever my mom and my my stepdad are doing and other family events. And we say grace over the holidays and when we have dinner. But outside of that, my sort of faith based practice is, is sort of, uh, I guess, indistinguishable. I don't I don't have a faith based practice. And that might be part of why it's so easy for me to also encourage that for our future kids, you know, is because there maybe there is a, a bit less of a him versus me yeah, and this face like versus there's, that face. There's no faith. clash. I mean, I see the value in everything and I've always been fascinated by my faith. You know, we took a, a world religions class in grade 12 and I was absolutely fascinated with Buddhism and I got 100%. I got my first time. I got 100% on an exam. So anyways, I know that was a bit of an anecdote, but I think it's helpful context when people are imagining what, you know, intercultural, How, what, faith what, means what cultures are colliding here is, is this mix on my end in your own experience. And I think Professor G said it during our wedding ceremony too, is like happiness and love are the most important principles in any spiritual practice and love of our God, love of our gurus, love of ourselves, love of our partners, like during the Anand Cottage doing the spiritual um, coaching that we did with Professor G before our ceremony, we had like three separate calls where he walked us through the ceremony itself, checked in with us individually and then together about what this union was going to mean and for he asked us. asked us some really like pointed and hard questions yeah. that sparked some beautiful conversations, you know? Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is like, we're willing to figure it out. Absolutely. It's going to be messy and f weird and wild and all of the things, but as you've heard, our our relationship has been thus far walking through the fire yeah. and figuring it out and deciding. And One day the biggest thing, and like that's why investigating resilience is such an important part of my life and, and this show now, is if my children can become resilient, adaptable, and capable of making their own decisions in an informed, connected, thoughtful way yeah. that is kind and caring and inclusive... I've done my job. Yeah, exactly. And if exposing them to multiple faiths is a way for them to do that, even if it's confusing for them, you know, Ma yeah. said this to me often. She's like, what about your kids? Like, it's going to be so hard for them. And I'm like, Ma, we were in Sikhism. Like we, we went to Punjabi school. We did Gurdwara, all like, of that. I'm but okay. our day-to-day -day life was so fucked up and confusing <laughs> that that was our hardship. Yeah. 
And it was amazing too, don't get me wrong, it was the duality of both things and I think that's what's so beautiful about life is it can be this and. Um, But that's going to be their thing to figure out. If we make their life too easy, what's going to help them build character? And I know life is already hard enough and we're going to do our best to give them a loving, caring environment in the way that we can, but I also want them to be problem solvers and capable of making it through the hard things that life's going to throw at them. And, yeah. the, and creating the familiarity of a breadth of things, like you said, you know, exposing them to everything. like by The toolkit. Exactly. <laughs> and by being able to speak the language and to engage in a cultural or religious event in many different forms throughout their life, they will feel more comfortable in those spaces and more comfortable engaging with, you know, like the theology of it. Like maybe they will be drawn to a specific faith. And, mm-hmm. And we'll be supportive of whatever our children choose because we want them to feel welcome to engage in that. And, yeah. you know, there's the trend, an increasing trend of people becoming sort of agnostic. We're like, ah, it's just it's Or multi-faith. Sure. Well, I don't know how much that's increasing, but there's, there's a big trend of people sort of not self-identifying with a faith. Yeah where I think that's because there's a lack of exposure often too, right? And so I also, what I meant by multi-faith is like people choosing what works for them sure. between different yeah. faiths. Like yeah. I see people in the, the yogi nuance. space and, you know, like what makes what makes sense to you? And I know a lot of people who are like very deep in their faith. Like this isn't an argument that's going to sit well for them. Yeah. Um, but it's worked <laughs> for us and it's yes. working for us. Like I went to Catholic school too and I learned so much about Catholicism and Christianity. And that's a big reason why I can so respect when Paul does grace and we created space for him to do grace at the wedding. And it's because like, what is more important than understanding how to respect people? Yeah. And hold space. What is the point of faith or connection? If we don't know how to respect exactly because people's choices, because we can connect with other people's values. Yeah. Even if they're slightly different from our own, they're probably extremely complimentary the vast majority of the time, you know? Yeah. Okay. I think this, I really should have made this a multi-part thing, but. <laughs> well, we can. We <laughs> um, there's three, I think, pieces that I want to hit on before we, we wrap, which I think it's still going to be a while before we wrap. But um, what really brought our families together in a way we, that was really unexpected was my oh, cancer gosh. diagnosis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that. That old thing. <laughs> because like being diagnosed with cancer was the worst thing in my life, but made my parents come here like we lived in New York at the time. We didn't have a home base in Ottawa. We had rented our condo out here. So we went and stayed at your dad's house, which is where we live now and yeah. that we've renovated and turned into our home yeah. of all homes now. But at the time wasn't. It which was just so your dad's because house. Because you say, we, we've never thought about this, but we talk about how you having the service. So we came back, we left New York City, Como came home. Oh my God, what order of things is this? This is 2000, 2016. So this is, this, this was before we... Did they come for the first surgery or the yeah, second? Yeah, both. both. Okay, you jump in. I lost my timeline. Yeah, <laughs> so this was this would have been May 2016. Yeah. I was diagnosed in March 2016. But was it not your mom who proposed that we go... This was 2017 okay. when we moved back. Okay, gotcha. So 2016, I had my surgery and I came back to Canada for my treatment because um, I was suggested to a great sarcoma specialist, oncologist... Um, and it just was cheaper than doing it in the States because we weren't insured in the States. Surprise, and I had surprise. like my, I had my doctors here already and yeah. it's an hour flight. And so we just figured it out. And so Ma came for my first appointment and I ended up getting a fever. So for two days, her and 
Mitch sat on the couch at home and watched Hindi movies. Oh my God, yes. And we watched Harry Potter and I was so sick in and out of sleep while they were just being cute and hanging out together. It was the best. It was the best. It was so cute. And then, yeah. And honestly, like, it was like team building and like love building and yeah. connection. And I remember Ma saying like, even at the weddings at some point, she was saying like, when you see someone care for your child as much as Mitch and his mom so and funny. Papa Joe cared for Komal, like what am I supposed to I do? I was going to say, because it was like your mom and I sort of commiserated as caretakers, her as, you know, your mother who'd done that her whole life. And then seeing me take on that role in an extreme circumstance, but take it on the same and feel sort of like a reflection of herself in that. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, I, I sort of, I'm pretty involved in the caretaking. You do everything. I don't just leave you to your I couldn't move. And you brought me everything and did everything. Like a mom. (laughs) Like a husband. Yeah. Like a very caring, loving, amazing husband at the time fiance no at the time partner boyfriend you weren't even my fiance fiance at that point (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah so second surgery came around mom papa came up for a week then so march ma would have come in march 2016 and then again in may 2016 mom papa both came that time and you guys like my mom and dad are the socialites of all socialites like they cannot sit still. No, it is amazing that in an know. arranged marriage, they were arranged and knew each other for 14 days before they got married. But a match made in like perfection in so many yeah. ways because my dad's a city councilor. Ma sits on all these boards and does all the like the volunteer stuff, helps with the Gurdwara. Like they're just everything. Yeah. I can't keep up. No. Like when we go to India, I get sick because I'm trying to when keep up with them. When we go home. But even here, yeah. so I'm in surgery. I come out of surgery by the th- <laughs> that same night of the surgery. Like we have our family friends oh come God. over, go deep uncle and them. Yeah. yeah, we had a big family dinner at the house. Was that that day? That was the next day. The, the that next, was the, right, a whole day I was day still later. drugged up and like sitting on couches while everyone's socializing. But honestly, like that helped me through my recovery in a yeah, lot of ways. It, it, it pushed me un- unnecessarily in some ways, but... Like you're tired mentally, but like the noise of people is... There's like a restorative... Being surrounded by your community and your family. I grew up in a household with 10 people. Like I'm used to chaos. People you don't feel at home. I know. (laughs) Um, So all that to say when they came, they brought a lot of life with them too. Um, But they really got to know Papa Joe. They really got, which is what I call Mitch's dad because I don't like just calling people by their first name because of being growing up in Punjabi culture. You always say like Masi or uncle or auntie. And so Papa Joe it is. (laughs) And then the last surgery was in July. June or July of 2016, and it was the hardest one for me. Yeah, and Ma came for a little bit, but then That's had to go back true. sooner. And then um, that was really you—the family's forging like yeah. nothing else yeah. could have, because in that like really hard period of my life, they got to see how there you guys were for me. Well, you were down and out on the couch. Yeah, and then we spent—they they were there for what eight days, something like that. They were there for a bit. Yeah. And Komal was, for the vast majority of those first few days of recovery, just in between painkiller doses. So, you know, in and out of consciousness for the most part. And so we all just spent time together and talked. And they talked about everything. Your dad, like your parents and my dad went through everything. They talked about their childhoods and their habits and their families. And they just like, again, sort of 
in this familial community caretaker space and it just it brought us all closer in a really at the same time in a really difficult environment but it was beautiful and it's like i feel like that was the silver lining or like one of the reasons that happened dare Mm. i say like it made us unbreakable as a collective family and it made the weddings what they were it made our life now what it is yeah i feel like Instead of diving into the weddings here, I think we should do an episode on how we planned sure. our, our mixed marriage <laughs> weddings. Sorry, did you say how you planned our mixed marriage? <laughs> <laughs> Mitch walked into our wedding reception and literally <laughs> said to himself. I, I felt like I was the prince. Like I was the princess in the movies because I wasn't part of any sort of the decision making around like what would be in the spaces and the decor and setup. So <laughs> at our second wedding here in Ottawa, one was in Alberta for her family. So her grandmother could be there and one was here. So my grandmother could be there. And we went into the hall, like the entrance going into the reception. And I was just in awe. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is beautiful. <laughs> so thanks for that. Yeah. Um, I feel like we could just keep talking. I know, that. but I'm also like, I feel like it's a good time for us to maybe wrap up and share some nuggets of wisdom or takeaways for people. Okay. So I, that was our, that's our relationship. Yeah. That's our story. I hope we answered some questions. (laughs) (laughs) And I think like in reflecting on this, this is really special for us. Number one, because it's 11 years and this gave us a really beautiful way to market and sit back and, and take it in and soak it in. But when it comes to being in a mixed relationship, I think that there are levels of difficulty that are added in terms of how you tell your parents, what you tell them, how do you bring them on board, all these pieces. But at the base of it, do you love this person? Mm -hmm. Can you do life with them? Yep. Can you make it through the hard times? Definitely. Do you want to have whatever your version of a family looks like or a long life looks like together? I do. Do you often think about what it would be like to grow old together and just see each other 90 years old sitting side by side and looking back at your life and being like, wow, look at what we did. Yeah. Yeah. The it's, is this your person? Yeah. If it's your person, you guys can figure it out. I promise. And you know, I, can't not say this because it is the reality for some people in my culture and my faith. If you're concerned about bodily harm or Mm. aggression or violence because of the choices you're making, I can't speak to that because that's not been my lived experience. I was afraid. We would make jokes lightheartedly about when I would go to India and da 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 da. (laughs) However, like that was in jest and that's not real. Yeah. And so if you're in a situation where you're afraid in that way, what, what we're saying can only take you so far. And there are other avenues that must be explored for your own personal safety and well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would feel irresponsible not to say that in this context. Yeah, I mean, we were not encouraging people to go out and just, you know, shut it from the rooftops if they're in a, a precarious situation, obviously, like have a safety net in place, have people you trust, have a backup plan in case you need emergency accommodation. Like we're taking this to a heavy place. Yeah, but but I think it's important. Something needs to be said. So if, yeah, I mean, if you're in a dire circumstance, then find your, your, you know, your shields, your supports. Your plans. Like if it's what you're doing, like make sure you're in it with your partner together through 
whatever safety it is you need to take yeah. take care of. But that heavy note aside, um, it's really up to you and your partner to do the hard work and have the hard conversations to figure out if this is what you guys are in for. Because it's worth it. And it's something worth we haven't it. said is like your mom and I are friends now. Yeah. I called her like last week on my way to work and we just shot the shit for like half an hour. <laughs> and she told me about parking, driving around the parking lot and being late for work because she wanted a parking spot close enough because it was too cold. Outside. It was minus 50 and she We're didn't want to walk outside. And your dad and I are like super close and your brother and I like none of the relationships that were so challenging in the beginning that, you know, were um, seemingly at risk when we first sort of broached the issue of us being together long term, all of those relationships have been mended mm -hmm. in a really beautiful way. And often the gap is just time and education. It's really people, it's, it's like you're proving to your family that this is the real deal yeah. and that you're in it through thick or thin yeah. and that you're willing to put in the time and effort to bring your families together. And, you know, someone asked on Instagram, like, they don't believe that their partner is fully committed or, like, willing to do the work. Ask your partner. Yeah. Have the hard conversation. You shouldn't have to believe. You should know. <laughs> you should know yeah. before you're taking it to the table and tabling yeah. this, like, mom, papa, like, I'm with this person. And it's like, the person isn't even, like, <laughs> fully in it. Like, you got to have those hard convos yeah. because if you're taking it to your family and you're in brown culture, you know what that means. What it could mean. What it could. No, like, yeah. when... If I told my parents and I wasn't certain about you, I was an oh, idiot. Absolutely. Like you, you yeah. take it to the parents For if sure. and when you're well, certain. And your brother, like, uh, I'm going to say teased, but was like very serious with me when the first time I came and met your family, we weren't engaged yet. And so, and then I think I came back home to Alberta once, once mm -hmm. or twice more. And after the first time he was like, next time you better come back with a ring. Which was like funny, which was funny because my brother's because, big bear. He's a yeah, gentle, large which, man, which is his way of saying like, what's going on here? Like this is either serious or, or it isn't. Yeah. And at the same time we had to do. And this takes me into the whole like when you propose, like we were together for eight years. I have no idea. Oh eight my God. Years. Yeah. You September 2016, you proposed eight years, seven years. Seven years? <laughs> 2009. Oh, because oh, we're behind. Yeah. So seven years yeah. we were together. And the last, honestly, year, I was like, is this ever going to happen? But I also knew we had this conversation where I knew I was like, I'm going to stop asking because I know when Mitch proposes to me, it's going to be when he feels oh God, the most so secure and like strongest in himself. Like yeah. the most, the day you propose to me, you're, you've always I'll said this. It. I'll yeah. say it. So, um, this, I'm sure this will resonate with some people who uh, feel the pressure to be the one who proposes. For me, I had this crazy false narrative that like when I propose, I will be making, like I will be in an excellent career. I'll be in the best shape of my life. Like all my affairs will be in order. Like everything <laughs> will be the best it's ever been. Then I'll know I'm ready to propose. And then I'll turn it to be complete BS and I don't remember a pivotal moment when I like threw that mentality to the curb. But when I proposed to you, I was, uh, I wasn't in the best shape of my life. I was in an, an average state of my physical shape. I was unemployed in Brooklyn. I had no idea what my future looked like. You were an extremely successful, but volatile, like career progression. Everything was, 
exciting and terrifying and nothing was certain and I had never felt more sure about us than before. And it was, you know, that's what matters. It's like, do I want this no matter what crazy road is ahead? Yeah. And it took me a long time to learn that hard lesson. (laughs) And it's also like it wasn't even just about the craziest roads ahead because we had navigated so many crazy roads already. Yeah. And yeah, if so, I was going to jump ship, I would have done it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was so many opportunities. It's been so wild to reflect on this last 11 years. And as Mitch said, we could keep going on for a really long time, but I think we're going to end it here. I hope that you were able to gain some insights from what it's like, not only to be in a mixed relationship, but to just be in a life partnership with a person. Mm-hmm. Some ideas of just how important values and character are in choosing that right person to spend your life with. Um, And I hope if you're in a relationship, this was a nice opportunity for you to reflect on your own partnership and the things that you love most about your person. I know that Valentine's Day is often all about couples and all these things. And we're seeing, you know, Galentine's Day and how we're celebrating our friendships and ourselves. And I love and adore that this has become not just a holiday for couples, but for us to reflect on our own self-love and the love of the people in our lives. And I am beyond grateful that in my life, I have a partner like you, Mitch, who I get to do things like this with. And I'm going through one of the toughest career parts of my life in terms of what we're building with the tour and the show. And every day, You just give me so much grace and love and support. You deserve it. But you make me think I can do this. And I don't take that for granted. And so thank you, my love, for everything. I love you. Do you have any last parting words? I'm parting totally words? lost for words here. I was just looking at you and be like, oh, we're still recording. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you want people to take away when it comes to mixed relationships? to mixed relationships what I want them to take away or about love I guess like no matter what circumstance you're in um, whether it's an intercultural mixed relationship or any variation of variables that might be challenging to your family or community for different reasons if you feel full in your relationship it's always going to be worth finding a way to healthily work through, you know, the hard stuff to get to where we are today. And it took years, like years and years to get here. And for me, the thing that got me through it was a certainty. And I don't want to say if you, unless you have the absolute certainty, like then we'll maybe work on your communication so you can get to that point. But for me, like, I just knew, you know, I just knew that you're such an incredible soul. You're such an incredible person. You've been so gracious in seeing me and encouraging me and the way you sort of, you get me to the point where I'm lifting myself up is something I have, I don't even know how to, how that's replicated. Um, And I can't imagine a relationship or a partnership or a friendship that I am more grateful for. Hmm. So if you have someone you love and they make you feel any kind of that way. (laughs) And if you know you're in it, like you're both in it, 
and at the end of the day you, you're going to choose to work through anything because i think that's a big part of it is like we don't flippantly say shit to each other no. about how we're going to break up or this is going to end no, things never. we so understand the importance of the words that we use yeah. and the language we use with each other and it's been like a baseline understanding since the beginning but we always knew we would choose to work through the hard thing in front of us and it's going to suck sometimes it's going to be really hard but if you can go through the hard stuff and still love each other or have a, a genuine feeling that there is another side of that, then see it through. Mm -hmm. This isn't the best and I don't think it'll be the last note, but I just want to bring this up too of like Mitch having gone through divorce and me seeing My certain parents. things. <laughs> or, that's what I mean, like as, yeah. a, as a child of divorce. <laughs> curveball <laughs> don't tell mom okay uh, gosh um we both had Sorry. an understanding and respect of what infidelity meant to us and mm. so we baseline early in our relationship had a conversation where we set ground rules and said if we're ever going to get to the point like if we ever get to the point where we're even considering cheating on one another or being with someone else yeah. like we end it yeah or we, we have the hard conversation about why and how that those feelings are arising and happening. Um, because we knew, like, we literally talked about this the first year we were together, that, like, we would never do that to one no. another. Also, because you had that experience of being well, cheated on. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, sorry. So to, to clarify, my parents' divorce, I still to this day have no idea. They did such a good job of just managing it that I, I leave it with whatever their reasons were i don't believe there was an infidelity but they they grew apart um but yeah i i went through the experience of of having someone sort of cheat on me and uh it doesn't feel good <laughs> <laughs> but like you said you know a, a a tenant of like love and relationships that you and i have especially me have always like said aloud is if you can't grow together then you have to grow apart. And it sounds so cliche, but like if you look at any of the relationships in your life, you can tell when people are growing together or if they're going in the direction of of something less, you know, supportive. A big part of it for me too, and I've talked about this with some of my friends, is like what values are you living with? Yeah. So treating people with integrity and respect and love, like that's our number one core value together. And so we know that we'd always in any hard period of our lives, if it ever came to us needing to quote unquote consciously decouple or whatever, like we would do it respectfully. We do it so well. So it's not just like us being in the clouds and not thinking about or talking about these hard things. No, I think we function well because we have addressed and named the hardest possible outcomes and talked through them. Yeah. Because I'm like... And and a big thing is also so many people in our lives, like my parents and your parents have gone through really hard things and taught us those lessons so we mm. didn't need to go through them. You yeah. know, like it's the standing on the shoulders of giants or whatever. Like we, like any relationship, anyone, we are where we are because people have shielded us from certain things. You know, we have the privilege of having learned from our loved ones. Which is also why I wanted to make this podcast Lessons Learned so mm. that people can learn these lessons from others. Yeah. Being the youngest child, that was my whole upbringing. I had four older siblings yeah. to see their wild times and lessons that they had to learn the hard way so that I didn't Trial have to do it the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> for life. Um, but so that's what this is. It's our training ground and, and you know, 
collection of stories for us to keep learning and growing from so we can be better and so we can do better. And on that note. And on that note. I think that's all for this week. Yeah. Tune in next time. (laughs) Until next time. Okay, almost. (laughs) Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to follow me, Komal, check me out on Instagram at K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S or the show at LessonsLearned.co. And if you have an idea of a lesson that we should dive into on the show, then slide into our DMs and submit there or on the website along with any guests you think I should interview and talk all of the things with. As always, I hope that you make some time for you this week and reflect on the lessons you're learning or have learned and take some time to celebrate all the incredible that is you. Until next time, guys. Bye!